0: Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Do you have a theme song? Give you a moment to think through that. Do you have a song that defines your life? A fun question I like to ask people when I'm getting to know them or just trying to, you know, start a conversation is, Another I asked them if they were a wrestler, a WEE wrestler. Now some of you may not know what that is, but you may remember it from the days of WCW or you know, the the wrestling, the fake kind. There was the wrestlers would come into a theme song. They would get to pick that as they walked into, into the arena. Or now, if you watch Major League Baseball, a lot of times, I don't know if they show it on TV, but they'll do a walk-up song. Just, Y'all, y'all getting the idea, so I'm going to give you a few more minutes. I'm delaying as long as you can to think to get you a theme song, the song you would pick that you could play anytime you walked into a room. They would play this song. It kind of defines you. Probably the first song that came to mind may not have been appropriate, and that's okay. But other songs that may have come up are songs that may have spurred some emotional feelings, emotions emotions to you. It's a song that maybe you were listening to when a great battle in your life happened and it came on the radio. You were struggling with something and that song came up and that's the song that that just resonates with you. Maybe it's a song that is one that means a lot to your family. You grew up singing it. I know uh, Eddie would talk about sometimes with his grandfather sitting and singing songs, singing hymns. Maybe it's an old hymn that comes up but it's your entrance song, or it's a song of celebration is what it is. You think of college football. A lot of us watch college football, a lot of us get involved, and most of our college teams has a fight song. They, they call it their fight song with Clemson. If you don't know, I'm a big Clemson fan, and they play Tiger Rag, that's our fight song. They play it every time you score a touchdown, they play it when you walk when the team runs into the stadium, it's their it's called a fight song it's to get you revved up you know here's i'm going to i'm going to let you in on a little secret i have songs that i listen to every time i preach i have hype music i know that sound may sound weird but you know professional athletes do this college athletes that's why you watch them warm up they usually have on headphones and they're really they're listening to music it's to get them ready and centered for what they're about to do and and i started this a while back because i still get a little anxious and a little nervous preaching so every every morning i come in early that i preach and i listen to the same song i start off with and it's oh praise him by david crowder another song that i may listen to and, and mike you didn't know this you didn't know this at all i had not talked to mike is how great thou art it's my favorite hymn of all time it's a song that I mean, you, you can't help but smile when you sing it. And all of these songs, the purpose of these celebration songs, these anthems, are to get you excited over something and to get you motivated and to recenter you on the purpose of why you're here, why you're doing what you're doing. There's one that our, our country does all the time and it's got a unique story, the Star Spangled Banner, right? our national anthem. We actually call it our national anthem. It's played at all sporting events. There's been controversy over it. As military people, when they hear the first notes, they're gonna stand. My dad, being an army veteran, he hears it, he's gonna stand, and he's gonna stand with pride. But do you know the story behind the Star-Spangled Banner? Have you ever read about Francis Scott Key and him writing these words? It did not happen in the Revolutionary War, right? which is what a lot of people think. In fact, the Revolutionary War's anthem was Yankee Doodle. Fun fact about Yankee Doodle, the British, it's a British song that they sing to make fun of the colonists. And when after the first battle, when, uh, the, US, when the, colony, uh, the colonists were fighting against them and had beaten them and the British were running away, the, the U.S. troops, they would sing Yankee Doodle and change the words as a way to mock them which is, I thought was interesting. But the Star-Spangled Banner, so in 1812, the War of 1812 happened when uh, Great Britain tried to come over and take back the United States. And they marched on Washington and burned down the White House. Well, after that event, Francis Scott Key, who was a writer, decided that he wanted to join the army. He wanted to join the cause. He did not want to go back to British rule, so he joined and started fighting against the, uh, the British forces. And there was a hostage hostage negotiation, a hostage price. Some British warships have taken uh, some U.S. troops. And so Francis Scott Key was one of the officers that went to this ship right outside of Fort McHenry around Maryland and Baltimore. As he's going there, he thought the the talks went well. But as he's rowing back in the late evening, he sees that the British uh, warships had surrounded Fort McHenry. They were going to do a surprise attack. Now, this was a, this was a vital part to get, to, the, to get back and to get to Maryland and to really control the war at this time. And they surprised the forces, and they put off, and there were bombs going off. And Francis Scott Key says all he could hear was just bombshell after bombshell. They're estimating maybe 1,500 bombshells went off at this one fort. Fall all night. And so as he is getting back to land and the British try to delay them as long as possible because they didn't want to give out the word. So as he's rowing and as he looks through the clouds, he's expecting to see a British flag hanging over that fort. But what he looks, as the dust settles, as the morning comes, oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light, the U.S. flag is flying high over that fort. A guaranteed victory for British turned into a defeat. Somehow, some way, a group of troops were able to hold off a much stronger opponent. And as Francis Scott Key started seeing that American flag flying over the fort, he says he grabbed an envelope from his coat and immediately started pinning the words to the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, say, can you see by dawn's early light? You see, that becomes a fight song, our celebration song, a song that gives us strength, makes us proud as Americans. It becomes in a spontaneous moment where salvation was seen and witnessed. Well, we see a similar thing in the Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. Because there, there's, there's another fight song in the Bible, and this comes this is Moses' fight song. So Exodus 15, and, and I'm not going to be able to read through the whole chapter, but I just want to look at the first three verses because it sets the standard for what's happening. Exodus chapter 15,' starting in verse one. It says, "Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted." The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. I'm gonna stop right there because that's kind of the first stanza. That's what starts the whole song off. You see, it's a song that changed history. The Israelites had been in slavery for about 400 years in Egypt. After they were gone there and brought in by Joseph, uh, when Joseph died, it says the Pharaoh forgot about him and his people, and so they went to slavery, and they were being mocked and ridiculed, and this man named Moses, who didn't want to be a leader, was chosen by God to be the leader. Even though he tried to leave Egypt, he came back. God said, go back and free your people. And he does that. He stands up to Pharaoh and shows all of these miraculous signs. He gets to see that God is in control and God is still there. And they're freed after 10 plagues. They're able to walk out of Egypt, carrying more than they brought in with them. But in their wilderness, they get to the Red Sea, this massive sea that's on their back, and they have nowhere to go. They don't know how to cross it. There's no boats. There's probably about 1.2 million people. So how do you organize that kind of structure to get across the sea? And then they hear the Egyptians coming, the chariots, the horns, the battle cries. They're coming, they're on their way. And Moses is left with these people and they're going, I guess we could have died in Egypt. Why are we dying in the desert? Why are we gonna die where nobody can know us? God has led us to defeat and God tells Moses, go and stand over the sea and raise your, raise your staff, for I will give you a way out, for I am your salvation. And he, oh, he raises his staff and the waters part. And they walk through the sea on dry ground. Meaning that it was only by God's doing that they were able to be saved. They didn't save themselves. They couldn't have saved themselves. Only God could save them. And then as they all walk through the sea, They get to the other side and God says, Moses, take your staff and raise it over the waters again. And the waters engulf the Egyptians, destroying all the generals, destroying the army. Talk about a celebration. Can you imagine being on those banks and watching that occur? Watching your enemy be defeated in front of your eyes? No wonder Moses took the pen and started writing this wonderful thing. And the only thing he could say from the very beginning is that, I will sing to the Lord. And that Lord is Yahweh. That's not just any Lord. If you look in your Bible, if you look specifically, that Lord is all capitalized. I mean, it's the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is Yahweh. That God saved them. Spontaneous moment of victory where they couldn't handle it anymore. He writes these words. See, a leader started it a leader knew the emotion that was going to be held into it all moses could think about was that it as one scholar put it says it was this is not a, it's not a narrative about uh, about a hero it's a spontaneous lyrical outpouring of emotion on the part of the people who experienced the great events of exodus What a roller coaster ride they had been through. And in this moment, it was kind of a breath of fresh air. It was finally a moment of relief. It was a moment of salvation. It was a moment of victory. And all they could do was sing because another scholar wrote, singing was an expression of love and thanks. It was a creative way to pass down all the oral traditions. You see, Moses didn't want this event to just be sent away. I think in his mind, he knew there would be other events to come. They had a long journey ahead of them. And he was leading a group of people that were not always pleasant to be around. They were always complaining. The funny thing is they have this event, and this is just a spoiler alert, but in the next series, they're complaining about not having good drinking water. They see a moment of of victory, a moment of salvation, and they can only enjoy it for a moment before they're complaining about something else. See, Moses knew that they needed to be reminded of God's victory because in our human brokenness, we always look at things that are not going our way. And sometimes we forget about what God has done in our life because we're too focused on what God is not doing in our life in the moment, how things are not going our way. And Moses is saying, we need to write this song on our hearts. We need to put this song in memory so that we can be remembered and be reminded of how God saves us. See, we come to worship. We should be coming to worship in celebration. You should come in here and celebrate the fact that you get to sing songs to the creator of the world. You get to come in here and express your gratitude for all the things he's done. Because you would not be here without God. You worship through celebration. You worship the one that redeems you. That's how you can get into true glorious worship, is when you realize that he's your salvation and you can start writing these things. And so I want to give you five reasons, four reasons we are to worship the God of salvation based on this scripture. The first one God is victorious. Right. He says, I will sing to the Lord. For he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he is hurled into the sea. That's the first line that Moses puts out there. After he is acknowledging that he is going to be singing. And another thing, just a quick note, I forgot to mention that Hebrew word that he's using for singing, it's in the tense that means it's continuously singing. It's not just sing, you just don't sing it once, you just you sing it continuously. So he's saying, I'm going to continuously sing about God because he is exalted. And why is he exalted? Because he's victorious. I'm not victorious. He's victorious. God won the battle of the Egyptians. The Israelites did nothing but just stand there. They didn't do anything. They couldn't have done anything. And Moses realizes that. He realizes that it's God's victory. We don't need to celebrate it when we have our own victories because we normally don't do anything but get ourselves in trouble. But God is the one that's victorious. He's the one that hurls the enemies into the sea. He's the one that takes care of it. He reemphasizes that in verses four and five. So God is victorious. The second thing, the second reason is God is our strength and warrior. God has the power when we are weak. He has the power all the time. That's the hope we have in our life because we go through life and sometimes we are weak. We're tired. We're frustrated. We see things around us not working out. We have confusion. We have friends that have been diagnosed with cancer and we don't know why. We have family members that have experienced these health complications and we don't know why. There's moments where we don't feel like we can go any further and we just wish somebody would fight for us. Somebody would take up and that we could just relax for a moment or fight with us. And it says, God is that person. He is our strength. Moses says that. In fact, he says he is my strength because he realizes that he can't find strength in anywhere else. So your strength, you can look in other places. You can look at your job. You can look at your career. You can look at your hobby. You can look at what you're good, with, good at, your weaknesses, your strengths. You can look at all of that. And they may help you a little bit, but God's the only one that can give you full strength. When the darkness comes, He's the light that you have to look for. The Israelites were weak. They were a bunch of farmers and slaves. They didn't have uh, any abilities They didn't know what to do. They barely could walk and get out of Egypt. But God continued to give them strength. Later on, we even see that just his presence enough, just this experience wasn't enough. He sent him, he was a cloud. He he became a cloud during the day that would lead them, giving them a visual representation of their strength and power. And then at night it was a fire, a cloud of fire that they could look to in the middle of the darkness. He was the light. God is strong. He's so strong, nothing can conquer him. If you looked at 6, verses 6 through 10, Moses is, is explaining how majestic and how powerful he is. Just look real quick. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the water piled up. Just because God breathed, he defeated them. That was just a little bit of God's power. He's your warrior. When David goes before Goliath, the greatest warrior in that time, David says, I don't don't need any armor. I don't need an army because the Lord will fight with me. Constantly through the Bible, we see that when Paul is struggling in the the jail cell, he says, rejoice, for the Lord is my strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, no matter what happens through all of these things. He pens in Romans, no height, no death, no angels, no demons, no death, no principalities can separate me from God's love. It was that God being his warrior that we see the great heroes of faith not focused on their own acts, not focused on what they can do, not focused on their own opinions, but focused on the warrior that can conquer everything, that can defeat everything. So Moses is saying that. He's explaining how powerful God is. The next reason is that God is personal and never-ending. See, he uses personal pronouns in the very first part. He doesn't get, it doesn't have to work to the fact. He's not working out and saying, okay, you know, he starts explaining how God's miraculous deeds happen. He's not explaining how powerful and how much of a warrior God is. No, he immediately says, he is my God. He is my salvation. He is my song. He is my strength. He is my God. That's why he was able to write these words. And it meant so much. See, earlier when I asked you about your song, it's your song. Others may not understand why you like a certain song or why you pick a certain song to walk up to. They may not understand why you chose this one or that one. And guess what? It doesn't matter because it's yours. You own it. See, I... When we start taking ownership of things, that's when our pride and our celebration happens. As I look across, I see proud parents and grandparents in the room. And I've heard many of you come talk to me about your grandkids or your kids or your great grandkids or nephews. And I can see the pride that you have in your heart and on your faces because they're yours. I've even heard some of you tell me when they're struggling and they've made a bad decision. And you may have wanted to cast them aside. But you didn't. You said, that I don't know what I'm going to do, but he's mine. You know, we become very possessive over earthly things. I hear quite often, man, I wish things, if we could just do it this way, I really like this. I really like it this way. I really, it really means a lot to me if I'm doing that. We become very self-centered. But the sad thing is, and the question I have, do we do that with God? Are you as proud as, as about your God, your salvation? Are you willing to step up and say, mine? Because that's when it becomes real. That's when it becomes you. It becomes your salvation when you experience it and you accept it and you take ownership of it and you express it. Moses didn't hide this song. He didn't worry about who was around him. He didn't think about it lyrically. He didn't have the have to have the perfect you know, you know, consonants and the perfect symbol. He just started writing poetry. He didn't even think about a tune in his head. He wasn't even thinking about what music was going to be played. He didn't think about what instruments would be there. He was simply expressing his emotions in this celebrated form there. Writing what was his because God had become personal to him. He had experienced God in multiple ways and he couldn't hold it in anymore. God rescued him from the desert from before. When he left, Egypt as a murderer. When he would have went back, he should have been killed. He murdered an Egyptian and for the Israelites and the Israelites cast him aside. He went to them and said, look what I've done to you. I'm here to protect you. And they did not see him as a leader. So he ran. And in the middle of the desert, when he didn't know where else to go, God provided a way for him, provided him a family, gave him a wife, gave him children. And then God says, go back to Egypt He experienced God through a burning bush. That's where he got the name of God. But I think in this moment, this is the moment that defined who he was. This is the moment that he could go back and he wanted to share it and express it because it was him. See, there's no other gods like our God. There's no one that redeems you like our God. He is holy and He is glorious. If you listen to Pastor Chris last week and talk about the Isaiah and the Seam and how holy it was. He's holy and He's different and He's consecrated because He saves us when we don't deserve to be saved. He saves us even when we mess up. He saves us even when we disown him. He saves us when we feel like we can't do anything else. He saves us and he's with us even when we're ashamed to be his. He saves us because we did nothing to deserve it, but because he loved us. He wants us to continue being in a relationship with him. His design from the very beginning in the garden was this perfect paradise where you just got to be in a relationship with him all day long and we messed it up. We decided to doubt and we decided to take things in our own hands and not trust God and we got cast out and there was a separation and God could have started over. Honestly, if it was me, I would have started over. But he didn't. He kept them and said and challenged them cultivate the garden, grow the garden, grow the relationship. And it took many, many years later, thousands of years later, when he sent his son Jesus to redeem us, to build back that relationship. We don't deserve it. You don't deserve to be sitting here. We don't deserve to be singing praises. Because think about just things you've done this week. I think about things I've done in this week and I'm like, should I even be able to preach? Do I have a right to stand up here in front of you? Most of you are a lot older than me. You've experienced things I will never experience. You've been a Christian a lot longer than I've been alive. So what right do I have to stand up here and speak to you and tell you truth that God is telling me? I don't have a right to do that, but God has called me and He is my salvation and my strength to be able to do that. He's the center point. He's the focus. And that's what Moses is getting at. That's the whole point of this whole song. Because if you look, verses 11 through 19, the longest part of this is Moses describing God as the Redeemer. Just verse 13. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. See, God knew that that wilderness was not going to be where the Israelites stayed forever. There was going to be a holy place that they could go and worship. David longed for that. That was the one thing he wanted. He felt God call him and said, we need a central place of worship because before them, it wasn't until actually later on, Exodus 21 or so, where you see the tabernacle. Until then, there was no central place of worship. No place to me. All they had was this song to sing. But they wanted that place and they created that place of worship because there's no one like Yahweh. There's no one that can save you. He loves you unconditionally. He loved you so much He sent His Son, not to condemn you, not to cast you away, but to save you. He rescues us from all the dangers, and He fosters the conditions in which our faithfulness can flourish. That's what he wants. He wants us to continue to express our gratitude for him being our salvation and our strength. And then finally, God is our song. God is our song. He is our anthem. He's the one that motivates us. He's the one that we need to pass down. He's the one that brings us joy and excitement. Because look what happens as soon as this song, as soon as Moses reads these words out, verse 20, then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider, he is hurled into the sea. Immediately there was dancing and singing that happened. You ever been a part of that experience? You ever walked into somewhere and said, you know, you didn't know the words of a song, but you could just feel the excitement in it. And so you just start singing along and you catch it very quickly. You know, we i, I ask myself quite often, you know, and I've heard this, I've had this debate and talk going into sporting events. Why should you spend all this money and time to go to a sporting event? When you can see better things on TV, I mean, really, I get kind of lazy with that because I can watch it on my TV and I can be just a spectator and just sit there and I can see all the angles. I can see the replays. I'm nice and comfortable. I've got popcorn. I've got, you know, water. I don't have to pay $5 for, you know, a bottle of water. It's very cost effective for me to stay at home and watch it on my TV in the comfort of my home. You know, now that it's getting colder. But if you ever go and experience that situation, you can't help but get excited. You can't help it. Because it is designed to bring excitement into that activity. And that's what Moses is doing. Moses is writing from his heart a celebration You can feel the excitement, and his sister can't help it. She can't contain it. She grabs the closest instrument that she could find, tambourine, or it could be a drum. We don't know, but she picks up an instrument, not thinking of how to play it or if she could play it. She just picks it up and starts singing the song Moses said right there on the spot. And guess what? The people joined her. The people joined and singing with her because they could feel the excitement. Not only did they sing, and I know we're in a Baptist church, so please don't yell at me later, but there was dancing involved. One scholar says dancing is used to express joy and excitement in every occasion. She didn't care who was around her. She didn't think if it was taboo. She didn't think if she was going to get criticized. I mean, she's just the sister. You got Aaron, her older brother, and Moses, her younger brother, and both of them are leading these people, and she stands up and starts singing and dancing, not caring who is going, what is going to be done. Why? Because God was her strength. God was her salvation. She knew that this was a victory to celebrate. Do we do that? Do we do that on Sundays? Do we come into this place looking for celebration? Do we come into this place ready to experience whatever emotion that God puts on our heart? Or do we get so caught up in the way that we forget why we're here and it's we forget who we're worshiping? We start thinking about what's not our way. They're not playing the songs i like well that's not my fight song but all the songs we sing are god's you see they were focused on the lyrics they weren't focused on anything else the lyrics moved them to worship the lyrics the words the heartfelt things Now, if you flip to the end of your Bible in Revelation 15, we read it this morning to start worship. Did you pick up on something? Did you pick up on what the people in heaven, when John experiences the defeat of the, the beasts, did you pick up the song they were singing? Did you notice it? I'll read it again in case you didn't. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses the servant of God and the song of the lamb. Now there's no definite proof that it's this song. Okay. I'll just put that disclaimer there, but by all accounts and by my research and by my study, this is the first song of Moses. Exodus 15 is the first song. It is the oldest poetry in our Bible. It's the oldest poetry written in Hebrew. And it's it's a song that illustrates the mighty acts of God as he intervenes into human affairs. This is what one scholar wrote. He said, God's direct, unmediated, personal inclusion into the world of human kind. This daily song assumed every great meaning as an affirmation of God's moral governance of the world. It is a celebration of Yahweh and the kind of God He is. Yahweh present, present with His people and doing for them as no other God anywhere at any time can present, be present to do. That's what this song of Moses is in Exodus 15. So it's by no coincidence that when we get to see heaven and John is looking at a great victory, watching a great victory over the beast, the beast that condemned and put to shame all the Christians and persecuted the Christians and saw death and saw heartache and saw turmoil. It's by no coincidence these people start singing the song of Moses of the salvation that they got to walk through and the song of Jesus that the salvation they got to walk through because when Jesus died on the cross, he let you walk through the Red Sea into salvation to enter into a relationship with God. That's the only thing that's going to bring you back into that relationship. That's the only thing worth celebrating is that God sent his son Jesus to redeem us, to take away our brokenness. Because all the different directions you're looking to fulfill the brokenness in your life, they will fail, but God will not. God never fails. through His Son, Jesus, we can have that experience. And it's through feeling of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Him touching our life that we are able to celebrate. And I know sometimes we come into this sanctuary, this building designed for worship, and we don't have our head right. I've done that. Things have gone on this week, but the good news is doing it every week singing songs, making sure we get back aligned with God so that we can conquer the weak. It's important for you to come into this place and celebrate the God of our salvation because it will help you this week. So I don't know where you are. I don't know where, what God is doing with your life. I hope that you have a personal relationship. I hope that you're able to exclaim that this is my God, the God of salvation. He is mine and I am his. If you have not, I hope that you will take an opportunity to express that you need that, that you admit that you are a sinner, admit that you're broken and that you need Jesus to come. And take away those sins. The sins are gone. You just have to recognize it and believe that they're gone and confess that you're going to follow him and commit to walking a life to glorify God. If you need to do that, you can come and talk to us afterwards. We'll pray for you here, but Pastor Chris and I would love to talk to you more about how God is your salvation. Or maybe you just had a bad heart. You're struggling with something you don't. You haven't been able to celebrate for a long time, and maybe that's a sin, that's a, a bit of pride that's keeping you from that. You can come to the altar and pray, and God will remove that and allow you to have a time of celebration again. Maybe you need to join this community, whatever it is. As Mike comes and Retta comes to lead us in this last song, allow us to think and experience God speaking to our heart so that we can make him our song. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all you've done. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your presence. I ask that you will help us and guide us, speak to our hearts, allow us to celebrate all the different the mighty acts you've done in our own lives so that you can truly be our victory. I ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.